You're listening to the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast, where we look inside the most innovative companies creating exciting new jobs. I'm your host, Reggie James, and I've worked with many startups, three I co-founded, two that scaled to employ hundreds of people. On the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast, we're getting candid stories and trusted career advice from CEOs, CTOs, and product leaders who are building amazing teams right now. Want to learn how to stand out and be noticed by some of the top tech companies worldwide? Hang with me as I uncover the secrets of their success. Welcome to the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sadr Fani, the co-founder of Eclipse AI. Eclipse AI is a platform that enables its users to predict and prevent customer churn. Interestingly, Eclipse AI has recently been recognized as a high performer in the grid report for proactive customer retention in spring 2023 by G2. Saad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Reggie. Really excited to be here. Nice. Awesome. I'd love to, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Our listeners are, are, are going to be people in tech, people who are looking to work for innovative tech companies and they want to figure out how do they stand out in their career. But I think also you've got some you know, people listening to that are in the entrepreneurial space and they want to understand how do you, how do you get to where you are? Like, tell us your story. How do you get to be a co-founder of an AI business? Tell yeah. us how you got to where you are right now, Sog. Gosh, I don't, I don't even know where I started. I mean, the journey has been quite long, but I'll, uh, I'll go through some of the, I guess, the quick highlights and how I ended up in this space. Um, I think I was always, I mean, I come from a, a family of uh, entrepreneurs. So running a business has always been in my DNA because I've grown up seeing my uh, family business uh, progress. But having said that, I, I didn't go the traditional route just get into a startup from or build my own startup from college. I did want to go and, and learn the trades first. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I'm originally born in, born in Pakistan, lived pretty much in six, seven different countries, but I went to college in the, in the U S um, where I did a engineering and economics degree. And it was always about from a career perspective, you got to get into the, the high performing uh, industries or the ones that are the most lucrative. And in the U.S., uh, one of them was investment banking, M&A. So I was doing a lot of that uh, in the U.S. for many, many years. Uh, in terms of hours, or if you count the hours, it was more. It was five years of experience, but probably mm-hmm. 15 years and uh, 15 dog years, if you actually look at how many hours were put in. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun time um, that obviously, you know, testing your wits against um, some of the best and talented people out there. And then after that, um, I went into uh, management consulting, which is a completely different profession. But that's where you learn more about, you know, how to operate a business and that kind of stuff. In between, I did an MBA at a global business school called INSEAD, which also, you know, opened my eyes to, you know, what's out there and things you can explore and possibilities um, so I left the U.S., did my uh, MBA, and then ended up moving to the other side of the world, pretty much, uh, Australia, uh, where I was doing management consulting. And, uh, you know, that was a great experience, too, really understanding how businesses function and what makes them tick and how do you improve the bottom line. Quite different from advisory work of investment banking, but still the experience was great. Um, And then it was during that time where, you know, in the later stages of my management consulting days, it was very, we were working a lot with uh, technology. So building, helping companies put in 
you know, robotic process automation, digitizing their processes and a lot of that stuff. And it was through that experience that I was like, obviously, this sector is taking off. Uh, maybe it's time to make a switch and actually get into the tech space purely. And given I didn't have a tech tech background, um, in the beginning, it was more just you just hire, uh, you know, pay some people to build you some code and, and that kind of stuff. But it went into, you know, uh, that's where the journey started. I did a lot of consulting projects uh, at the consulting company where we were helping businesses collect voice of customer data, you know, help them um, analyze that data and then turn it into insights. And, you know, these companies were paying consultants like an arm and a leg for that, right? So, and that kind of service, like a small to medium-sized business couldn't even afford. And I kind of felt bad that, you know, why is something that you can actually codify into a technology, why is that something that has been done or how come it's not economic for your small businesses? So that's where the idea came about. Uh, and then obviously, you know, it's, it's not an overnight fix. You've got to meet the right people, network with the right people. It helps when you work with a lot of smart people before because they can join you in, in that working with you on, on that idea. But you've really got to scout your network and finding the right, you know, the co-founding team. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously that, that's, <laughs> I said it was going to give a shorter form, but that's where, that's where I'm at today. So I'm a, uh, a tech, uh, co-founder of an AI business that as Reggie, as you said, it helps predict and prevent customer churn. Um, the, how it does that is it helps you unify voice of customer from different channels. So if you've got, you know, survey data, uh, you've got ticket logs you're getting from customers. You've got customers leaving online reviews. You're doing surveys with your customers. That's a lot of channels, right? And to analyze all of that um, is, is a massive, massive pain. Or unify all of that is a massive pain. That's problem number one Eclipse solves. It helps you unify that. You can just one-click integrate those sources. And the second challenge is that it addresses is it helps you turn that data, not into just pretty looking dashboards, but actually analyzes that data for you and turns it into actual insights. So it will tell you stuff like, hey, there's a high correlation between your you know, customer satisfaction scores and long call wait times in, in Melbourne. And you know, so reduce your call wait times to improve your CSAT. So something like that's you know, tangible, it's specific, it's quantifiable, it's measurable, it's something you can do versus looking at two charts which are showing some kind of trend and correlation and then you're stuck trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I actually do something about it? So anyways, that was a that wasn't the exact answer to your question, but um, yeah. It's a great answer and there's so much there to unpack and I want to talk about Eclipse AI uh, and I want to get in, you started getting into how it works and what it does, but before we move into detailed discussion on that, I'd be remiss if I didn't probe into your your career journey a little bit more it sounded like you had a couple of couple of different career transitions in there i'm interested to know you know for our listeners what might have been the best advice that you gotten in, in your career in your, your career journey what what did someone tell you that might have helped you along your pathway that you could share with our listeners i think just the the main thing would be test yourself in the toughest possible environments you don't have to jump into a startup too soon. There's no such thing as, 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 as uh, too late or too soon. The timing has to be, the timing has to be right. At the same time, you know, 
even during my, I guess, like early days in banking, I was thinking about setting up my own thing. Uh, but then I told myself I needed more experience. Now, whether that was right or wrong, it, I, I think it just depends on uh, circumstances. I think that additional experience that I did get in management consulting really is helping me in today's journey. But having said that, I have seen, you know, some people who come to me for advice or like, you know, just literally just fresh out of college. Hey, I'm going to um, I'm going to do a startup. And I think that's the thing with it, with a startup. Right. There's no magic formula. I mean, you can put all the stats together and run all the correlations, like even look at, you know, startups that succeed, the ones that get money versus don't get money. There's absolutely no um, magic formula. Right. So mm. but you've got to go with your with your gut. And I think I have gone with that, I think there are some decisions I could have taken a bit sooner. Worry less, you know, that would be a good thing. You know, a lot of times in, in banking, I was remember like, you know, when the pressure got to a very high level, sometimes you'd be fearful about your job. And what if you don't do this right? And you're always trying to like appease people and making sure that you do, which was, I mean, it was great from experience perspective. It was awesome. But I think maybe I would have told myself to worry a bit less you know about mm. those things because if if it happens then it happens you just you know you find the next uh the next best thing so i think that's really that's really good advice and it's it's good perspective and i think it's it's good weighty advice as well coming from you um having worked in you know two really high demand high pressure industries i know a lot of people they you know coming out of college and they're thinking where do i begin my career and it's investment banking and management consulting are are two of the most attractive uh fields to get into and i think um coming from you that that advice certainly means a lot i want to shift back over you started talking about eclipse ai um and you started talking about your your founder story kind of finding your founders what, what was that like what was that like kind of coming together as a team around an idea can you give us some some background into that and then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, eclipse ai and what it does yeah and again i guess it wasn't there wasn't a a textbook kind of approach to that right it was more um you know, you just start speaking to people that you work with, right? And just start testing the idea. Like, what would you think about that? What would you think about this? And then you kind of start to see which of your coworkers or ex-coworkers or people that you work with would be interested in doing something that you're interested in doing. But there's never like, I don't think there was ever a moment where like, so basically, I mean, in simple terms, there's three of us now. Uh, and the two of us, uh, me and uh, our other co-founder, who's the commercial guy, uh, Bill. Uh, him and I used to work together. He was actually my development leader in the management consulting firm. So he was like four layers up from me, right? So, but we got talking like after we'd left that company. And it was more just, you know, we just used to catch up weekly on exploring a couple of different things. And it wasn't like, there wasn't like one day where we said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Right. It was more like, um, I wanted to do it and I just kept doing it and just used, you know, not used him, but work with him for, um, to get advice, his input, cause it was very valuable. And then as he started seeing that, you know, um, that you've got this one guy who's very committed and actually believes in this thing, he started believing in it himself. And from initially, I think he started just from a, we used to do a 30 minute, you know, session a week to like, he's like, okay, I'm interested. Tell me more. 
then we would start doing brainstorming sessions like once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Then he was dedicating two days a week to this, and then it went to three days, and then it was now it's like you know six days a week doing this. So that was from a you know Bill's uh, you know the commercial slash sales guy. Um, the bigger challenge was finding a, a tech co-founder, right? Because people know that that is a massive challenge. Like how do you find a tech co-founder? Uh, I mean, ideally, you're the tech co-founder, but if you're not, you've got to find someone who's willing to sacrifice a pretty high-paying salary and um, jump in with you with, you know, there's no, uh, like, what's the what's the exit plan? Or, what, you know, how, is this thing even going to succeed? And um, so, and given the professions I was in, I actually didn't have that much of a, a network in the tech space, right? I mean, I knew bankers and I knew consultants. None of them were tech people. And, you know, you don't want to find someone random either because, I mean, this is someone you're going to be working with. You're going to get go through a lot of challenges together. You know, there are, you know, these networking things where you can find a tech co-founder and do stuff together for a bit and see how you work. But the, the challenges you're going to face together as a team, it's going to test everything, right? You're going to have your arguments. You're going to have your um, tussles, but you've got to get through all of that. So you need you do need someone that you trust. So um, and that person may not be the rock star, you know, Stanford graduate, like, you know, honors in like uh, computer science or something or AI. I mean, it can be someone who doesn't have that that background, but you can trust that person. Right. Mm. And you can also you can see that that person has the potential to grow in that role and take on more responsibility. So with that kind of mindset, you know, uh, we found it. I found the tech co-founder and he ended up being, uh, you know, uh, a, a relative of mine who I hadn't stayed in touch with for like 20. He was a cousin's cousin. I remember playing, you know, Mario Brothers together when we were younger, but because he was just such a distant relative, different geographies. We never spoke for like 20 years. Right. But when you started asking people that, you know, this is what you're looking for. So, well, as I say, you know, seek and you shall find. Right. So mm-hmm. I sent, the word out there to talk to people that were looking for tech co-founder. They spoke to other people and eventually, you know, Muneeb turned up and it's been great since then. So that's fascinating. There's so many, again, so many questions I could, I could ask from that and we, we wouldn't have the time to explore it all. So I'll keep us moving forward, but um, super insightful in terms of how your team came together and, and finding um, a tech co-founder. I, I wonder what's, what's behind the name Eclipse? Yeah, no, people, people ask that. Um, it's, <laughs> it's uh, I mean, it came about from, you know, we wanted to build something that it is a very competitive market that we're operating in. There are other platforms that do similar stuff. Some make a lot of bold claims about what they do, but they don't really do that. Um, but we wanted to build a software that helps, that makes our software stand out, helps us eclipse the competition and for our clients, it helps them eclipse their competition as well. So, uh, but again, it wasn't something that we, you know, it just it just sounded right, and then we kind of reverse engineer why we came up with it. It was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so sometimes names are, are funny like that where they don't have any deep meaningful thing. It's just that's that's kind of where we were. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you you mentioned your competitors and and that's something I really want to talk about. It you know there's currently a, a huge boom in uh, generative AI. Let's just take proactive customer retention platforms for example. Uh, on G2.com, you're rated 
as one of 21 customer retention platforms. Yeah. And I suspect there is, uh, you know, a, a, a massive amount of competition in this space. So I'm wondering, how do you differentiate your product from all the other ones yeah. on the market? What 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 is it that allows you guys to eclipse the other ones? Yeah. What would you say that is? No, great question. So, so there's 21, and then there's probably hundreds of others that are not on G2 in that category. And then G2 has some other kind of uh, similar categories as well, which has another, you know, 50 or so. So you'd have like feedback analytics is another category they have. Um, then there's a text analytics one. So, uh, I mean, very, very, very crowded marketplace. But um, but that's the thing about operating in a, the reason it's competitive is it, it is a it is a massive problem, right? Um, if you go one level up from, improving customer retention, the main problem is improving your customer experience, right? You want to make sure that your customers get that the best experience possible so they keep coming back and they refer you to other customers. So that itself is a $3 trillion problem, right? So, I mean, I, I don't think there's any or many businesses that actually say that we don't want to improve our customer experience, right? Your customers can be consumers, they can be businesses as well. Or sometimes you have, um, you know, B to B to C, so you have other iterations of that as well. So from that perspective, and the biggest player in that market, which is ranked number one, but they're ten times our price, is is Qualtrics. So they've been doing this for um, twenty plus years. They recently got acquired by a private equity fund. They've been doing it for twenty plus years, and um, uh, as mentioned, like you know, ten times our price, and they claim to do something similar to what we do, right? So, and their revenue um, is $1 billion, right? So $3 trillion problem, the biggest player has a $1 billion revenue. There's plenty of room in that market, right? So um, so even if you look at all the, all the smaller players, but in a nutshell, the difference between us and, I mean, I can compare it to a lot of competitors, but let's compare us to Qualtrics because they're the biggest one out there. Uh, and this is from our clients, uh, some prospects or clients that we've we have that have switched over from Qualtrics. So they've given us uh, three three primary reasons. One is you're simpler, right? Um, and simpler because I mean Qualtrics has been doing this for 20 years. Like you log into their platform right now, you won't have any idea where do you start, where do you finish, what do you do, right? Because they've been literally building charts and dashboards like until the cows come home. For 20 years that's all they've been doing, right? They're a tech company. So simpler you're more cost of, we're more cost effective so like i said one tenth of that cost uh and number three is probably the most powerful is qualtrics and when i say qualtrics there's other competitors are very very similar is they provide and this is what the, our clients told us they provide us with very powerful dashboards right um dashboards where we can segment the data we can filter the data we can run correlations we can do this we can do that but that's where it ends They'll flag some stuff when there's something is trending down. So they'll alert, send you an alert. You know, your net promoter score is in this region is uh, trending down. But what Eclipse does is actually what they've told us is, is very, very unique. And we meant it to be that way is we don't just, and our dashboards are not better than Qualtrics because we've only had a couple of years. They've had 20 years, right? And we're not going to compete on dashboards. Uh, what we're better at is turning that dashboard into actual insight, something a human can understand. It's written in layman's terms, understand, follow, and actually execute, right? And this was based on our, you know, Bill and I were both ex-management consultants. When we work with businesses, 
looking at creating dashboards, collecting the data was the first step, then turning it into a chart was the second step. And then the third step was actually turning the chart into something, right, into an action. Uh, that's the third step. And the fourth step is executing the action. So even when you sort out the first two steps, showing a dashboard to a client was almost like, for them, it was almost like a dare staring at headlights, right? It's like, okay, well, this is trending down, but there's another chart here that's trending up and there's another one that's kind of flat. Like they'd almost be looking at it all, all day long, right? And not turn it into, okay, well, here are the three things I need to do. So that's the problem that we're solving that these other competitors aren't solving. And that's the feedback that we're getting is you're making our execution. Uh, you're saving us a lot of hours of analysis uh, because you're doing that for us. Or the, well, AI is doing that for them. I imagine that's a really uh, strong value proposition, being able to, like you say, kind of turn those insights into well, what do you actually do? And and I can I can imagine, yeah, looking at lots of charts and, and you just kind of, yeah, like you said, a deer in the headlights trying to figure out what, what, how do I make sense of this? So um, having a tool in that space sounds sounds incredibly valuable. It'd be remiss to me if I, if I, you know, this is a Sprint Heart Iterate Fast podcast, if I didn't talk to you about experimentation and failure in your product development process. Mm-hmm. I wonder what does it look like? Cause I mean, you're, you're in a space, you know, where we talk about AI, like things are changing so quickly. Yeah. How does experimentation and failure um, come into play when you're developing your product, when you're working with customers? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, great question again. So I mean, we, um, this is where the consulting background helped, right? Maybe if I didn't have, cause we used to work with a lot of, um, uh, developers in executing, you know, development builds in super uh, quick time, uh, weekly sprints, agile, lean, all of that stuff. So that background helped. Uh, but yeah, the I guess the motto is if you're going to fail, then fail fast. And that's been our motto since day one, right? Uh, within the co-founder team, you will have differences um, with respect to that. For example, if I take uh, our CTO, he said in the beginning, let's spend six months, eight months developing a decent technology and then let's go to market, right? So, uh, whereas, you know, the fast iteration doesn't really fit with that, right? So, <laughs> if we've got a and lean principles don't fit with that. So, the lean startup, if you're going to do, uh, follow that model, you've got to build something which is literally like, the most minimum viable product that you can just stand up. Even if at the back end, there's no AI and there's me sitting there. And that's exactly how it was, right? We um, we had no voice of customer. We literally used SurveyMonkey's white label solution uh, to show the survey to our clients. They'd fill out the survey. The survey responses would come back to me and I'd sit there in an Excel spreadsheet, reformat that and then put it into a very basic dashboard we had. And then I'd create, sit there, late at night and create actions from it, right? So from a client perspective, I mean, it wasn't that real time, but they didn't really care because from the time they answered this, their customers answered the survey, they got real actions within, you know, within six hours. So, and if we'd done the other thing, you know, let's just build something for six months. Like, as they say, you know, the, as they, we shouldn't say, but build and they will come. No, they won't come, mm, right? No. I mean, you can package up stuff really, really quickly. And we've had some, even sometimes where we haven't completely followed that advice ourselves, like we've missed the boat, right? Um, Just a quick story on that one was we said, 
you know, we want to make our technology completely self-serve. So we want to offer free trials of our software. So there's a lot of things we needed to do to enable that to happen, which took about six weeks of effort. Uh, and then we got no free trial signups, right? So that six weeks could have been saved if we'd actually just said, offered the free trial saying, you know, we're about to launch free trial. Would you be interested? And see how many people actually said they'd be interested and then built the self made the technology more self-serve. So, but sometimes, yeah, we make mistakes as well, but you learn from that. So. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a really interesting one. I think yeah, that, that lean kind of startup model and, and just getting it out there is, uh, makes a whole lot of sense. I wonder what your thoughts are, you know, about people making wild claims about what, you know, their product can do. Um, where's the balance between, you know, the lean startup model, getting something out there and, and seeing if there's demand versus, you know, kind of, kind of making wild, bold claims. And you kind of mentioned that before that there's some, some people in your category that make, you know, some big claims, but probably can't back it up. Where's the, where's the line? How do you draw the line between smoke and mirrors? And, and, um, also I was just testing demand. We want to get signups before we actually build this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it comes down to the value that you're providing, right? So transparency is important, obviously, when you're selling that MVP. And if it's you sitting behind the scenes and kind of doing that work in the beginning, just being transparent with with people on that. I mean, we also, uh, with our MVP, our primary buyers were people that we knew. So it's also good to get. And they were willing to pay pay us for that as well, because ultimately... You know, there was no uh, automated AI because back then OpenAI wasn't wasn't ready yet, and our AI was still being built. Um, so, uh, but these were people we knew, so we had to be transparent with them uh, and share what the technology actually does. But ultimately, what they, the reason they were paying money was they were getting value. Mm. Uh, we weren't locking anyone into a long-term contract. They could literally pay weekly. They could pay monthly. So if they weren't happy at any point, they could switch off. And I think that also helped us. As an ex-consultant, again, that experience helped because in consulting, you cannot lose a client, right? You lose a client and you're pretty much, your business is dead, right? So Because yeah. it takes so much effort to bring on a business client in a, in a consulting firm. So making sure that our clients were getting the value that they were paying for. Well, actually more than the value they were paying for has been at the forefront of what we've done. So hmm. really interesting. I want to shift and talk a little bit about um, team and culture uh, still on this theme of innovation, but kind of thinking, I, I know you're not the, the tech co-founder, but you know, from your perspective, what kind of expertise and, and skills do you think are crucial for developing and maintaining generative AI systems? Like how, how does your team keep current um, with the latest advancements in the field? Yeah, so from a CTO would probably be the right person to answer that question, but um, I can take, take a stab at it. I think we've got, uh, I mean, OpenAI has been, a, uh, has been quite a game changer, right? So mm. whereas before you actually needed that uh, Python machine learning uh, background or you needed to be a data scientist to build an AI model. Uh, now you can work with the open AI um, LLMs, the large language models, and you can fine tune them. And you actually don't need, um, from what I know, again, maybe, maybe I'm not 100% right on this because I'm not the tech guy, but from my understanding, you don't need the, um, 
the background machine learning. So basically, if you're a full stack developer, if you can get comfortable using that uh, API that OpenAI provides, plus uh, other tools out there, you can you can accomplish a lot now uh, through that. So, but in terms of your question was more about the, what kind of skill set. Yeah, no, I think skill set's been. I mean, whatever people. I mean, we've got obviously different people in our team. It's still a small team, but. You know, we've got customer success people, we've got marketing people, and we've got developers. And I think the skill and the will are the two most important things for us. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to have the skill, like you've got to have the subject matter expertise in that stuff, but also the will to will to succeed in the role, right? Mm -hmm. And some people, in even in a company our size, um, we've had to turn off people pretty quickly, as in let them go because they were just not not up for it, right? Yeah. Um, so setting a strong culture of performance, and again, that's where the background banking and that experience help because like you could have one bad person in the development team and it affects the morale of the other people, right? Yeah. So especially if that guy is like the senior guy and he's not showing up on time. And so basic having your disciplines in place, being open to you know receiving feedback and learning from that feedback, being able to adapt and being able to problem solve. Those are besides you know your kind of functional expertise. Those are your other skill sets that we look for. And a lot of those things, I mean, you try to test them during the interview process. You don't always do that right, right? There's no uh, magic way of doing it, but you can see that on the job pretty quickly. And you can see the people that um, are moldable as well, right? So, I mean, not everyone. I, I mean, I went into banking. I, I didn't know one thing about banking, but what I had, what I went in there was, uh, you know, the will. I did have the will. Then I learned the skill. And I had the determination. So if you have those things and um, you can you can rise and meet those challenges. That's that's really good. And I'm going to remember that. That's going to stick in my mind, the skill and the will. Um, and then the last one, determination. Now we're talking about we're talking about team. We're talking about I mean, you mentioned culture as well. Um, I'm interested to know, can you give well? We like to create a little bit of a, a shadow opportunity. If there's anyone that you want to recognize, is there anyone you know in your team that you would say has played a key role in shaping growth or culture at Eclipse AI that you want to recognize? Uh, no, that's great. So we have a, um, and instantly that person is 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 not a developer. He's part of our. Uh, he's the only person in our client success team. Uh, but he, his name is Umar, Umar Zain. Um, I mean, he's gone above and beyond uh, mm. everything, right? So his his role was kind of quite different. It, we almost had to innovate, create the role out of nothing in the beginning. Um, but he's literally, in terms of openness to feedback um, and how quickly he adapts to that feedback and learns from that feedback and the determination and work that he puts in uh, I mean, he is a bit of a, um, you know, tries to be, he is a perfectionist, so he does get the things done right. But the motivation, the disciplines, like all those things that I said, the problem-solving mindset, I mean, some things he had, but the other things within a few months um, he he learned. And you can tell, I almost could tell that in, in the first week when I, when I worked with him, that in the interview, maybe not so much. He was actually not the top pick, right? The mm. top pick actually didn't last more than three weeks. And then I was like, okay, you try something different. And he was kind of the second pick and you brought him in and he's, he's never looked back. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's super valuable for our listeners to hear that from, you know, a, a co-founder of a, a, a tech business, like that, 
you know, the willingness to take on the feedback and respond to that quickly um, is invaluable insights we can share with our audience. Um, you've, you've given me so much already, but I'm going to ask for a little bit more um, as we close out our our our, our interview. Um, I always like to, um, you know, ask my guest, you know, what are the three pieces of advice that you'd have for anyone who'd want to apply and work at Eclipse AI? What would you tell them if they're listening right now and they're saying, you know what, I saw a job opening with those guys, like. I wonder if I'm the right fit. What advice would you give them? Three pieces for anyone that wanted to to apply and work at Eclipse AI. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, do your research prior, right? Um, have a look at what it is that we do. Try to understand the problem that we're solving. You know, because you do get a lot of CVs and people applying, and that spam approach uh, mm-hmm. doesn't kind of when people have limited attention spans, I mean, I'd notice if someone, let's say, um, found me on LinkedIn, right? Find a, found a way to get my email address. Maybe they even found a way to get my mobile number, right? Mm. And and gave me a, a call through. Because that shows initiative. I mean, some people may be like, how did you get my number, right? And they'd be pissed off about that. But to me, if they can figure that out, that's quite good, right? So we did this. We, actually, this happened. Like 100, we got like 300 CVs through some job database and the one person did this other thing and it, he didn't get hired in the end because he didn't have the right skill set but that initiative was taking that initiative was quite good uh, so taking the initiative uh, and I kind of mixed two together but uh, doing the research so making sure that you know this is something that you're looking for you understand the problem that we're solving and you know if we are to have a conversation you can have a proper conversation and not just skim the surface because you've already applied to like a thousand other places. And then third thing, I think because I mean, we try to do that and I know it's not ideal because, um, I mean, I myself was always not good at case interviews because it is about how many you do and practice and all of that stuff. But I'd say, you know, be prepared for a case during, during the interview. Um, be prepared to get your knowledge tested rather than, because I mean, a lot of people can kind of BS their way through, right? So that's why some companies just go, well, some companies go with behavioral interviews, which aren't ideal. Then others go with case interviews, which aren't ideal. We kind of try to go with both, but ultimately, you know, you still never get the right, it's possible that you may still not get the right candidate, but um, yeah, so just be prepared. But did that answer your question about? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that that's really good. Um, and I think that's that's exactly what you know people need to hear uh, around how do you how do you stand out? Um, love the example of of the initiative and um, you know people who go above and beyond to find the information um, certainly makes them stand out. Um, and, and then preparing, like doing your research and preparing um, super advice for our listeners. So um, I thank you for that. Um, Sardar Fani, uh, Eclipse AI, um, really, really thank you for coming on the show today, having a conversation with us. There's lots of little nuggets and gems in here that will be useful for anyone who's looking to, to one, stand out in their career, but, but two, if they're interested in, and, um, you know, working with you guys, um, there's heaps of information you've provided provide it today that would be useful for them for them so if, if our listeners want to follow you or um, contact you how should they do that what's the best way to get in touch with you 
I'd say LinkedIn. I'm literally, because um, it's, you know, very, very active on, on LinkedIn. I literally have the window open all the time. So, yep. LinkedIn profile, I would say. Connection request. Yeah. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you for joining us today on the Sprint Heart A-Rate Fast podcast. We wish you well. I appreciate that, Reggie, and thanks for the invitation. Glad to, glad to have had this session. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sprint Hard Iterate Fast podcast. You can find this episode's show notes and additional resources on www.beakerandflint.com. As a bonus, for the first 100 people to subscribe and leave a review, I'm giving away copies of my new book, Scale Up Culture. Scale Up Culture will give you a leg up in your career by showing you how fast-growing tech companies are building their teams. Stay tuned for more episodes on Melbourne's Tech Mavericks, 10 companies shaking up their industries in 2023.